I want to introduce to you this morning Jeff Knaus and have Jeff come up. Jeff and I met two or three, maybe three years ago when we were uh, leading in a tech weekend for teenagers uh, together. And I have stayed connected with him ever since then because I really, really like him. And he also is going through the commission pastor training. So I'm on the team for, in our region um, that, that oversees people going through commission pastor training and then examines them. And Jeff is at First Reformed Church in Sully, Iowa. And he is there. And not only do I, I like him uh, in many ways, I, I really learn from him. Jeff is someone who loves Jesus. And he loves God's word. And he is, has wisdom beyond his years. Um, except, I mean, he did live with Matt for a while. But <laughs> we'll, we won't hold that against him. But anyway. But yeah, so Matt and he were, were friends as well. But Jeff and I have stayed, stayed connected. And so as I was praying about this summer, he just kept coming to mind of like, let's have him come and teach here at Celebrate. So I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for his wife, Allison. Uh, I'm also, uh, they have a, a son, Jay, and Jay is going to be a superstar. I am, I just know it, he is going to be a superstar in many, many ways. Mark my words, those of you who pay attention to Jay Knaus in the years to come. Anyway, I want to pray for Jeff and then just turn it over to him. So God, thank you for this man who loves you and who seeks after you and who prays and who's diligent and who's fun and who's joyful. And now what you've put in him as he has uh, meditated on your word and reflected on your word for us today, would you fill him with your spirit and would you fill all of us that we could hear from you through this man today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. I do like you as well. We'll say that up here up front. <laughs> I do want to clarify something, though. The K is silent in my name, so if you come up to me afterwards... <laughs> Oh, that was, oh, I thought you were joking. Oh, that was serious. All right. No, K is silence, right? I live in a Dutch town, but I'm German, so I, I'm kind of the outlier there, but it's all good. So, um, and if I do have lots of stories of Matt Van Zandt from our time living together. So if you're curious what your worship leader looks like behind the scenes, just come ask me. Anna might know better, but I've got some fun stories from back in the day. So uh, it is just an absolute honor and delight to be with you today, uh, celebrate church. Uh, when Andrew asked me back a couple months ago if I would be willing to speak to you this morning, I was absolutely honored and humbled um, that I get to come before you uh, and just preach and teach the word today. Um, in getting to know Andrew over the past couple of years, I have heard a lot about you as a church, and I would just want to just encourage you uh, that you are being the hands and feet of Jesus here in Knoxville. Um, that you, it is so evident that you as a church love the Lord and love your neighbor, um, and God is at work in and through Celebrate Church. So uh, just be assured and be encouraged by that, that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. So uh, I'm excited to be here today. Before I dive in, uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself so we can get to know each other a little bit, and feel free to come up to me afterward after the service today. I would love to get to know you as well. So I grew up in a small town in eastern Iowa. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents were very involved, um, but I never really knew the Lord until I got to high school, and I went to a camp out in Colorado uh, where I met Jesus for the first time, which just totally changed my life and sent me on a new trajectory. Um, I went to Central College, which I see a congregation of Central people up here, so go Dutch. 
Um, it was while I was there that I met Allison Kretzinger, and we later on got married um, and had our son Jay, who will be a superstar one day in Andrew's words. Not my words, Andrew's words. Um, but I was an exercise science major. I wanted to go on and do physical therapy or occupational therapy or went, go down the healthcare route. Um, and while I was at Central, the Lord really worked in my heart um, and ended up calling me into uh, full-time ministry. And so I have been in Sully, Iowa, which is a show of hands. How many people know where Sully, Iowa is this one? Wow, okay. <laughs> All right. Our small little 900-person town is on the map, so I'm glad you guys know where Sully is. So we have been there for the past four and a half years. I'm the youth director um, and just love working with students. Um, God is doing some great things in Sully as well. But um, this morning we are looking at uh, continuing this series that you as a church are walking through called Blessed. And we get to week three of this, which is uh, where we talk about the meek. So if you want to flash that verse up here on the screen, or if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, it's a really long verse, I know. Uh, we'll sit in it for a while. Um, but just Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and this is what we're looking at today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's it. I'm going to close my Bible up here. That's where we're going. So um, so I want to do three things today. Um, and if you take notes, then these are three things to write down. So I want to first define what meekness is, right, from a biblical perspective, right? And then I want to talk about what gets in the way of meekness. And then three, uh, I want to point us on a path towards how we live that out practically in our day-to-day -day lives. All right, so as, as both... Pastor Judd and Pastor Bob have talked about the past two weeks. Jesus, in this sermon, uh, presents the kingdom of God as an upside-down kingdom, right? In reality, it's us who are upside-down, and the kingdom is right-side-up. But regardless, everything that Jesus portrays in this sermon, in these Beatitudes, is countercultural to how you and I live uh, and what the world um, deems good. Right, So week one of this series, you learned from Pastor Judd um, that it's the poor in spirit who are blessed, right? which, which doesn't really make sense on the outright. Right? It's, it's not those who are poor, it's those who are rich who are blessed in the scheme of the world. All right? And then last week, you learned from Pastor Bob um, that, and I love the way that he phrased it, happy are those who are sad. Uh, just total contradiction, right? It does not make sense. Right? And on the surface, none of these Beatitudes make sense from a worldly perspective. Right? If we just read this and then don't think about it or don't meditate it or don't insert God into that, then it doesn't make any sense, including what we're looking, about, we're looking at this today about the meek. Right? In the sense of the world, right, it's not the meek who inherit the earth. Right? It's the powerful. Right? It's those who are strong, who have the most power, the most resources, right? the highest platform to stand on. Right? It's those who inherit the earth. And that's how it's always been throughout all of history. Right? Think back to elementary school. Who gets picked first on the playground in the pickup basketball game? Right? It's not the shortest kid. It's Bobby, who's the six foot eight, 250-pound fifth grader with a mustache. Right? That's who I'm picking on my team. <laughs> We honor the powerful. We celebrate them even, right? Who are our kids as role models when they're growing up, right? Celebrities, political leaders, professional athletes, those are our role models and maybe even still for you and I today are as well. But Jesus looks at the meek and says, it's not those powerful people who inherit the earth, right? It's you. 
It's the meek. And in an upside-down sermon of an upside-down kingdom, we find that there's different views of meekness regarding the world versus the kingdom. Right? There's two separate definitions. Right? The world paints people who are meek as those who are the overlooked, the left out, the small, the timid, the weak, the worthless. Right? Nobody may notice if they just disappeared. Right? They're small. They have nothing to offer in the sense of the world. Right? And so the aggressive and the powerful, the ones who inherit the earth, can really do some damage on those who are meek. Right? And at the time Jesus gave this sermon, right, it was the Roman Empire and it was the Pharisees. Right? So Rome was in control of Israel, right? We read in our history books about how big and how great the Roman Empire is, and they used their power and authority to oppress the people of Israel in their day-to-day lives, right? They implemented ridiculously high taxes, right? Undeserved punishment for breaking the law, right? Exile and fear, these were all common things that the people of Israel would experience on a day-to-day basis. And there's no doubt that there were Roman people who were at this sermon listening to Jesus speak, right? And then there were the Pharisees who were Israelites, the religious leaders, right, who took God's law and twisted it to make it almost impossible to follow, and then you were rejected and you were looked down upon if you broke that law in any way, shape, or form. So these people in Israel who are hearing this sermon are both being oppressed from the world right, politically and just in their normal lifestyles, and then they come over here to the Pharisees who are saying, you're not good enough to be loved by God. And this is the meek that the world paints. All right, and maybe our view of meekness this morning is skewed as well, right? My first thought when I was, when Andrew gave me this passage to teach on and I just kind of thought about what meekness was, we don't use that word a lot, But in my first instance, I thought a person who was meek was just a person who doesn't like confrontation, right? Who kind of stays away from the forefront, right? Takes the back seat, just kind of go with the flow. I basically thought of myself because that's exactly how I like to live my life, right? If you were to come up to me this morning and told me you didn't like my shoes or my outfit, I'd probably just walk out those doors and never come back, right? I don't like confrontation, right? And my wife and I are kind of the same way with that. We're both very go-with-the-flow kind of people, and I don't know if those who are married in this room have this issue or not, but we have the hardest time in the world picking a restaurant to eat at, right? We'll get in the car, and we'll start driving, and I'll ask Allison, all right, where do you want to eat? And she'll very lovingly go, I don't care, wherever you want. And now I'm getting frustrated, right, because I want to be a good husband, and I don't want to eat where I want to eat. I want to eat where she wants to eat, right? I want to serve her, right? And I want to eat where she goes. And I'm like, all right, come on, really. Like, where do you want to go eat, right? And then it's just a back and forth. And then hours later, we just end up at like a Culver's drive through because we can't pick anywhere to eat. <laughs> and, and, and while that's funny, right, that's truly what I thought being a person of meekness was like. And as I dove into this passage, I realized that that's not what a person of meekness really is. And so how is meekness viewed in the kingdom of God? And so if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. So the foundation of all of this, right, of what meekness is, is at its core, meekness is a life lived in total dependence on God. 
right? There's more to meekness than just that, which we're going to talk about. But at its core, the foundation that we build upon, it's living a life of total dependence on God. Meek people cannot live without God's intervention in their life. Right? It's like the prayer you heard earlier, the oxygen we need, the breath we need. We can't breathe without God. We need him in all things in our life. And when we live that way, when that's the foundation that we build upon, we develop qualities of meekness. Right? The first being a quiet strength. Right? Meekness is strength under control. Right? The powerful in the world, they showcase their, their strength. They flaunt it. Right? Professional athletes show how dominant they are. Countries show off their military and all of their weapons, things like that. They flaunt their strength, but the meek have strength, and they keep that under control. Right? And that strength doesn't come from themselves. Right? It comes from the Holy Spirit within them, and there's a difference Right? We see that in Jesus. Right, The night Jesus is put on trial, he goes before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and they kind of accuse him of doing all of these things, and he just stays silent. Now, Jesus is the most powerful person who ever lived. He could have easily lashed out in anger, but he didn't. He had that strength, and he kept it under control. Right? On our own, we can never control ourselves. Right? If you deal with anger like I do, you know that it's hard to control that, and we can't do that without God. Right? But the Holy Spirit, when we invite him in and we rely on God, blesses us with strength and self-control so we can live our lives confidently and courageously. Right? So the first is quiet strength. The second is a humble confidence. Quiet strength, humble confidence, right? It's continually acknowledging in your life that God is in control of all things, right? Of all of our life and its circumstances, that no matter what comes our way, God is on the throne and God is in control, right? Jesus displayed this too, right? His close disciple Peter wrote about him in 1 Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't lash out or retaliate in anger unless it was a holy anger, right? And that's our common reflex when someone wrongs us, right, is to lash back out, right? We want revenge. If they slap us, we want to slap them back. If they wrong us, we want revenge. That's our natural instinct as human beings, but Jesus showed forth a humble confidence in his Father, even in his suffering. And that's the key, right? It's easy to trust God when things are easy. It's hard when it's hard. And the meek people do that, right? And when you look throughout history and you read stories in the Bible, you see that the meek walk through a lot of suffering, right? They don't have it easy, Right, but like the wise man who built his house on the stone, they are not shaken when affliction comes their way. So, so this is sort of what meekness is at the base level. So now, what stands in the way of that? Right, if, if you're like me, I, I, as I read the Bible and meditated on it and uncovered these things, you know, my desires, I want to live that way. Right? I, want, I want to have that trust in the Lord that I can surrender everything in my life to him and let him take it so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But I don't live that way so often. 
So what gets in the way of us from surrendering our lives and having this radical trust that God will take care of everything? The number one enemy of meekness for you and me this morning is just one word, and it's pride. Right? Pride is the root of all selfishness in our life and all self-advancement, like trying to do whatever it takes for us to get ahead in this world. Right? And it's clear throughout the Bible that God is against those who are proud, right? There's Bible verses like God opposes the proud but exalts the humble. It's clear that God wants those who are meek, right? And God is saying to you and to me, hey, look at me, look at me. Just trust me and everything's going to be fine, right? You may walk through hardship, right? Life might not always be easy for you. It might not always be comfortable, but it's worth it. Because you have me and I will never let you down. That's what God says to you and to me. And then pride slithers its way in and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. Right? Only you know what's best for you. Right? Other people can't tell you what to do because you know what's best for you. Just do whatever you want. You can see already how that is a twisted mindset. There was a commercial that ran on TV for a while, and I think it was over COVID because I swore I saw it every time that a commercial was on. Um, But it said things in the commercial that really frustrated me. Uh, It said things like, if you want to live in a yurt, whatever a yurt is, just yurt it up. Just do it. Or if you want to run a marathon, that sounds really hard, but just go ahead and do it. Just do you. You know what that commercial was for? Diet Coke. I don't like Diet Coke as it is. <laughs> right? If I'm going to drink a Coke, I want the full sugar Coke, right? Uh, <laughs> but if a soft drink company is telling us and proclaiming like a self-gospel, right, then that's evident that something is really wrong in our culture and in our lives. Right? Pride looks only to the self. It doesn't look to anybody else. And that's the opposite of what meekness is. All meekness is looking to others and looking to Jesus in everything in life. And pride can take its form in two different ways. Right? Number one, it says, I'm so good. Like, I am just crushing my life. I have everything all under control. I am the best of the best. And you just feed your ego. Right? If you think life is all about you and that others are just around you to cater to you and your needs, then pride might be an issue. But from my experience and the, and the people that I interact with, it's less of that manifesting in someone's life, and it's more the second one, which is I'm no good. And that's my wheelhouse, right? And it's so easy to just miss the mark by so little with this mindset, right? Of course, in the Bible, we are called, right, to die to ourselves and to live for Christ, to humble ourselves, or as John the Baptist says in John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less, But what can happen, Celebrate, is we can take that mindset just a little bit too far and develop this false humility and we begin to see ourselves as worthless, meaningless, useless, right? We take it just a bit too far. When I was in junior high, I was given uh, the nickname Empty Seat, right? My classmates just saw my value as an empty chair, right? No one would care if I just left. And as a junior high kid who's kind of 
wrestling with his identity, that's hard to hear. And that took root in my life. And maybe you've had someone say something like that to you as well. Just a word or a phrase or a comment that really took root and made you believe God could never love me. I let other people down all the time. No one would care if I just disappeared. I mess up so often. Who could love someone like me? And of course, celebrate, that's not true, but we believe it, right? We grasp that and we believe that it's true in every instance of our lives. And we may even think that it's honorable to think that way, right? That somehow we are so humble that we have a low view of ourselves. It's not honorable. Right? You are beloved, made in God's image, bought with a price. That's how we're called to live. Right? I'm no good is just pride taking a different form because everything's still all about us. I'm no good. I'm useless. Right? We want someone to come and to fix it for us. And so how do we get past this? Right? We have this problem. How do we get past it? Right? We overcome pride. And we get rid of it when we first, as Pastor Judd said, week one, recalibrate, right? We recognize that it's there, right? That's what the poor in spirit do. They recognize that they're broken and that they are spiritually barren. And then we mourn it, like Pastor Bob said, right? We mourn that it's there and we long for comfort in a new life. And then we say with that humble confidence of the meek that God is good, God is good. We put to death our pride when we do what the author of Hebrews calls us to do, and I think it's going to be on the screen, when he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and here's the key, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and let go of trying to control it by then placing our lives in the hands of Jesus, we take the first step towards meekness. And that step is a step into our inheritance, which is the kingdom of God and all the wonderful riches and blessings that are a part of that, which we'll talk more about later. But it also brings about a call and a lifestyle change for you and for me. So how do we live this out? There are four aspects that I have found of that call. Number one, which I think is going to be on the screen as well. The meek recognize that nothing is theirs, but everything they have has been given to them by God. Right? King David prayed in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and said, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give only what you first gave us. God is uncreated, right? He is the one who was and is and is to come, the one who has always been and always will be. God has never not existed. And everything that you and I have and you and I experience on a day-to-day basis is an overflow from God's heart. 
So David, who exemplified meekness as being the young shepherd boy who was chosen to be king, recognized that we can't give God anything that he has not already given us. Right? When we recognize that, that all we have God has blessed us with, right? It cultivates a spirit of gratitude and generosity within our hearts because we start to see everything as God-given and not something that we just hold on to and we did for ourselves. That's why we worship. That's why we praise and sing these wonderful songs back to God because it's a response of what he's done and given to us. Right? There's a story in the Gospel of Mark um, of a poor widow who comes uh, to the temple to make an offering. Right? And there's these rich people and powerful people who are dropping just boatloads of money into this offering box and looking really good while they do it. And this widow walks in, and she drops in just two dinky little coins, hardly worth anything. And Jesus and his disciples are in the temple at this time, and Jesus sees this happen, and he says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all all those who are contributing to this offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, the focus here is not the amount that was given, but the mindset behind it. Right? We have this same opportunity. Right? This is looking at what we have and deciding, is this mine? Or is this the Lord's? Right? Do you thank and praise God for what he's given you? Or do you feel like you deserve it? That's a good gauge of meekness in your life. So number one, realizing everything comes from God. Number two, the meek see and acknowledge the brokenness in the world. But they also see how God is reconciling all of it. Right? Meek people walk through a great amount of suffering. Right? They're not foreign to that, but they know that God is working through brokenness. Right? There's no better picture of this than Jesus himself. Right? After he uh, dies on the cross and is risen again, there's, there's this beautiful story that I love, and he cooks breakfast for his disciples one day. Right? How meek of him to just cook some breakfast. And Peter is there with him, and if you know the story, you know that Peter on the night of Jesus' trial and arrest, denied him three times, right? One of Jesus' closest disciples turning his back on him. Now, I think that as Peter is sitting around this campfire with Jesus and the other disciples, he's experiencing a lot of brokenness in his heart. But Jesus doesn't lash out or point a finger and say, you did this, you did wrong, you need to fix it. No, he looks at him and he loves him. And he restores his spirit and gives him a purpose to, as Jesus says, feed my sheep, healing the brokenness. Meek people see that there is treasure in broken jars of clay, and they notice the potential for God to bring restoration to those who are broken. And they're not without hope in all of that, right? They know that God is on the throne and in control of all things, and that day by day, his light is pushing back darkness and they're just excited to be on that journey and be a part of it. Do you have hope for the world? Do you trust that it, God is in control of all things? These are important questions. Number three, 
The meek do not fight with their fists. They wage war on their knees. Right? The powerful use their brute strength and aggressiveness to fight their battles. Right? The Goliaths of the world taunt those who are small, but God is for the Davids. You see it throughout the whole Bible that God is for the Davids. He's for the meek. Right? Being meek is a realization that God has all the power, and all we have to do is just let him fight our battles and trust that he will. Right? In the book of Exodus, right before uh, God parts the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross through, Moses says to the people of Israel, as they're kind of scared and worried because the Egyptians are chasing after them, he says this, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Being meek means being people of prayer. Right? Desperate, from the heart, prayer to our Lord. Right? We're called to bring petitions and intercessions to God and let him fight the battle. Right? Prayer, what, that, what it does is it communicates both an utter dependence on him, which is what we've talked about, and this radical trust that God is going to keep us going and work all things together for good. Are you a person of prayer? Who and what are you praying for right now? Lastly, the meek are called to steward the kingdom, to create and cultivate, to nurture and to grow. If we were to look at the Bible or really look at the world now even and say, who are those that are meek? What are, what are their occupation? What do they do for a living? Right, it's the shepherds. It's the farmers. It's those who cultivate the physical earth. And in the same way as a shepherd tends a flock or a gardener tills the ground and cares for the crop, you and I are called to cultivate the kingdom of God. And we do that through discipleship, through doing life together, sharing life, sharing our hearts, pointing each other to Jesus. I can think back on men and women in my life who have seen my brokenness but who saw incredible potential for the Lord to do a work in my life. And I think about their names and I hope you have those names as well of how they have just built up my spirit and how my faith has just grown because of their impact on my life. Church, that's what you and I are called to do. Is to see each other as children of God and though maybe broken or maybe grief-stricken or cast down, but to pick each other up and call out what God is doing in our lives. That is how we nurture and grow the kingdom. So who are you discipling? Who are you trying to point like John the Baptist did to our wonderful Savior. Who are you discipling? The meek that Jesus mentions today in Matthew 5, 5 live by these principles, and they commit their life to them. And as we see, Jesus promises them reward if they do. And I'll invite the worship team back up at this point. Now, at this point in the message, you may be thinking to yourself, Jeff, what's the point? Right? Why should I pursue this? Why should I be meek? And it's a valid question to think about, is it not? 
right? Meekness will not get you anywhere in this world. It just won't. We're not promised that, right? It won't bring you fame or recognition. So what's the point, right? If, if you want a life of comfort and pleasure, then meekness is not the path to take. And, you, and that may be true. But that path, friends, leads to nowhere, right? We are called to meekness, not as a means to an end, but simply for the sake of being meek. We are called to meekness because that's what Jesus is like, right? Since we Christians are little Christ, we are called to be like him in all ways, including his meekness. Friends, hear these words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 2. This is the mindset of the meek. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility or meekness, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, if God himself chose not to pursue a platform or a status, but instead emptied himself by becoming a servant, how much more should we crucify the desires of the world in our own lives? Jesus had it all. And while he never lost it, he loved you and I so much that he would become meekness in the flesh. He stepped into our mess, became our mess, so that you and I could have the freedom from the bondage to pride and sin and receive the kingdom of God. Wholeness, beauty, freedom. His life on earth was lived in total dependence on the Father all the way to the cross for you, for me, and for all of us. And we're called to that same mindset, right? We are called to carry our crosses, as the Bible says, as Jesus himself says. And that seems pretty harsh, right? That seems hard, right? Even Jesus couldn't carry his own cross. He had to have someone help him. How could we ever expect to carry ours? But friends, hear these life-changing words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. It's the invitation for you this morning. Come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My friends, are you tired this morning? Are you weary? Are you anxious? Are you longing to belong? Are you searching for a purpose? Are you desperate to feel loved? Are you looking for a savior? Then look no further than Jesus Christ, the meek one, and place your life in the hands of the one who created you, who knows you, who lived and died for you. You can trust him. He will never let you down. When you do, when you live your life in total dependence on God, Seeking his will in all things, you will find all that you are searching for in him. That's the reward. All that you are searching for. And you will live a life of freedom, of peace, of joy everlasting. You will truly inherit the earth. God desires those who are meek. Embrace meekness and hear Jesus say to you, Well done good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you did not stay in heaven but emptied yourself and you came to earth and you showed us how to be meek, how to be gentle and lowly and not pursue the spotlight or pursue the front seat or anything like that, but humble ourselves and love and serve you and others. Father, we confess this morning that there are things in our life that we are hanging on to that we're just not quite sure if we're ready to drop that into your hands and let go of it, but that's what you call us to do. So give us the faith and the trust this morning, Lord Jesus, to drop that and lay it at your feet and pick up our inheritance which is life and relationship with you in your heavenly kingdom. Where there is no pain, no crying, no anxiety, no depression, all wrong things will be made right in your kingdom. Give us that faith and give us that trust that your son Jesus had. And let us receive that freedom today. In Jesus' name, amen.